As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman, as always, and... Bruce, we got actually got a lot of a lot of college football news to talk about today. But first, we want to bring on a special guest. Yes, it's our colleague Derek Crocker. He is one of the ones who's behind the glass for us, and has a very interesting job, an interesting role, not just at Fox Sports, but also as an as a TV executive in the in the modern TV landscape. Yeah, I don't know that a lot of people know how the process works. Of you know which games end up on which network and at what time. So we thought that might be interesting since all of you watch college football on TV, we assume. So let's get a little window into that. All right. Well, we're pleased now to be joined by the senior director of college sports for Fox Sports, and that's Derek Crocker. He has what I consider to be one of the coolest jobs in all of college football. He basically picks which games Fox shows through the course of the season. Derek, thanks for joining us, and I think people are going to find this interesting. Um, when when does the process start? So the 2016 season will kick off here soon. You know, ESPN has their games, Fox has their games, all the various networks. When does that whole process start? Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on, guys. Um, it's it's basically a, a year long process for us. Um, you know, like for instance, right now we're working on building the 2017 football season. So that's just um, you know, how far in advance that we're working on games. But, um, you know, it really kind of starts um, after the national championship game, um, somewhere in the, in the January period of um, we start engaging with um, the other network partners for each conference um, and, and going through a draft process with them and deciding who has certain games on certain weeks of the season. Derek, one of the things that I think is fascinating is it's, you know, we all and, and certainly fans think of games and we look at ahead at our schedule and go, okay, you know, this is going to be a big game and, you know, in the SEC or this is going to be a big game, we think, in the Big 12. But from, from, from your perspective and how you guys really handle the process, it's really more about the weekend than the game itself, correct? That, yeah, that's definitely correct because um, basically you're trying to set yourself up for having the best game on a certain weekend. Um, so that's kind of where the strategy piece comes involved, um, is that you're picking, you know, picking weeks um, or weekends 
um, you know, as part of the draft process. Yeah, let's just explain that to people a little bit. So, because you've used the word draft a couple times now, um, is it is it really like you know a bunch of guys getting together to do a fancy football draft? You and ESPN and well, let's let's just take as an example the Pac-12. Uh, ESPN has a relationship with them. Fox has a relationship with them, and then of course they have the Pac-12 network, and the games could end up on any of those three. So this draft you're referring to, maybe take us through it. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is similar to I guess if you're, you know, if you think about playing fantasy football, um, you know, the, the main difference, as one of my colleagues told me, it's um, instead of a fifty dollar buy-in, it's you know millions of dollars <laughs> is our buy-in. So. Um, so instead of picking your players, we're selecting matchups. Um, so, it, you know, it is a, a, a big kind of overall draft process. So it's, you know, picks one through, um, you know, how many conference-controlled games, you know, 60, 70 games potentially out there. Um, you know, and there's a very specific draft process. I can't go into the details of that. But, um, you know, say that, you know, Fox will have the number one overall selection, say, in the Pac-12, and then ESPN will have, um, you know, the, the second selection, and then the Pac-12 network will have the number three selection, those kinds of things, and, you know, in the Pac-12 draft. So um, those are, that's just kind of a hypothetical example, but, um, you know, those are the, those are the kind of the, the larger principles of the draft. And then what we do is, you know, so whoever has the number one overall selection, they'll maybe select the number one pick in week 12 of the season, um, and that will, be, um, that will be taken with the number one pick. So if, uh, I mean, is it actually a, I don't know if you can get into this even, is it a conference call? Are you guys, how many people are, you know, in each boardroom just kind of gathered around? How does, like, you know, I, I keep thinking like these shots we have of like NFL draft, you know, of yeah. what that's like. Is that kind of far, far, <laughs> far field or is it something really kind of a little like that? No, it's great. I mean, it's 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 a combination of uh, of conference calls, in person drafts. Um, the guys from ESPN they always love to to come out in the springtime to to LA. So they usually try to make an annual trip out to LA, and we we sit down and and talk about uh, about talk about the year. But it's it's also not just one one draft. It's probably like a series of drafts. Um, it's never done in just one conference call or in one meeting. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's. It's uh, it's kind of a fun process, though. And just like fantasy football, it seems like there's a little bit of gambling involved because, you know, like you said, you pick weeks, not games. So let's use last year as an example. I know you can't go into all the specifics, but we can reasonably guess that Notre Dame-Stanford, which was on our air uh, Thanksgiving weekend, was a game you had an eye on before the season. Um, USC-UCLA is that same weekend. I'm trying to think of a couple others. But so... A reasonable person could look at that week before the season and go, oh, that, there could be a couple of great games. But at the end of the day, I mean, Notre Dame-Stanford turned out to be a great game with na- uh, national championship implications, but you're betting on that, and it could just as easily, right, be, you know, by the time you get to it, 6-5 and five against 5-6. Five and six. No, I mean, it, you're exactly right. Um, we're definitely we're betting on certain weeks. I mean, we're, you know, we, it's definitely part of the strategy where you look at certain weeks and you go, well, there's – you know, several good games on a weekend, but, you know, specifically the Notre Dame-Stanford last year, that was definitely one of our priority selections, and, um, you know, we were definitely looking at that weekend where, um, you know, there there could there's a few really good games on the weekend. Um, you know, likely the teams uh, on that weekend were going to be playing for a college football 
uh, playoff spot, those kinds of things. And, and luckily, that's really kind of what what happened. You kind of cut, you know, uh, lightning in a bottle there to some extent with you know both teams being very highly ranked. Um, major implications to um, to the college football playoff picture. So um, those are the things that were you know that you hope you kind of cross your fingers that everything comes together. But sometimes, um, like you like you mentioned, it just blows up on you too. How much of the rules, like I remember there was a couple of years ago, I think it was two years ago, ESPN ended up with the, I think it was the Alabama-Auburn game just because of the number of times I think CBS had, had used, it was almost like CBS got boxed in. CBS of, picked too many, Alabama. they had a limit on how many yeah. teams, how many games from one team and they used up their Alabama picks before the Iron Bowl. Yes, yeah, so, so what I'm getting at is how often are there kind of, little like in the in the finer detail rules where people get caught up in it and you know just try to figure out okay we'd love to do this but oh yeah there's this other rule that's gonna that's gonna come back and bite us in the end that's pretty unique to the league i mean are there a lot of these deals like that are you know okay this is the way it works in the sec but the the rules for the big 12 and the pac 12 each are very unique that you guys always have to kind of you know, keep in the back of your head that, that make these kinds of things really kind of more challenging than they probably seem on the surface? Yeah, I, you're, you're totally right. I mean, in each, in each conference does have a very specific set of draft rules. You know, there's certain limits on the number of, of certain teams that you can pick um, for each of the conferences. Um, so, um, you know, that specific example that you gave, that's, you know, that happens um, in our Pac-12 and Big 12 drafts as well. Um, it's just a matter of you know, of the conf- or the you, you making sure that you know all the various details. Um, you know, it's a very, um, you know, it's a very detailed job, I guess you could say, um, like analyzing all the different variables. But also, the most interesting interesting thing is, you know, in part of the draft process, is the collaboration between the networks as well. Even though we are competitors and it's our jobs to, you know, put the best schedule possible. We know that you know sometimes working together and you know helping each other through the various complexities, like you mentioned, of the draft, makes all of our jobs easier. Because you know one, you know one mistake, you know could potentially you know cause implications on your schedule, on a, you know on the other person's schedule, um, and at the end of the day, it just could become one big mess as well. And now you know one interesting thing is that. Obviously, college football is not the only thing Fox and FS1 show in the fall. There's the, the baseball playoffs. There's MMA fights. Um, and so I guess you got to kind of – I mean, how much of your job involves figuring out how to squeeze the number of games that are in the contract around the other things that the network's contractually, contractually obligated to show? Yeah, I mean, that's like the huge jigsaw puzzle that's you know kind of fun to uh... – you know, to try to figure out as well. We definitely have a team over here, um, you know, that works together. We talk on a, on a daily basis of all the various, you know, um, contractual commitments that we have. So you're right, we do have to work around UFC commitments, you know, whether it's and also Major League Baseball commitments, NASCAR commitments. Um, and so that, that does make um, the number of windows limited uh, to some extent. But at the end of the day, like, um, you know, there's usually those – those commitments you know um, ahead of time and can, can plan for. Derek, this is a little, this is off of the draft question, but it's a more of a programming question that I feel like I see a lot of fans have the, uh, you know, get a frustration on a Saturday when games bleed over and, you know, a game may not still be competitive, but it's like, Hey, we're kind of locked into it. 
Why do TV executives schedule such tight windows when you know the games usually are a lot longer than than three hours and 15 minutes? Yeah, I mean, we, well, we typically try to schedule three-and-a-half-hour windows to, to try to accommodate. And even on the, um, on the broadcast network, sometimes we try to put four-hour windows just to even give us even more of a buffer because you never know, like, you know, games are going overtime, games are going, you know, are just running long, you know, more teams – Teams that are passing the ball more, um, obviously those games are, are, are running longer. Um, so, but it is we have very limited number of windows uh, to be able to put put games in. We have a you know we have all these games to schedule, and you have these are the windows that you have set. So, um, you know it is part of a gamble to you know put games back to back. But we try to do our best to make sure we have contingency pro- programming ready. Um, you know an alternate network an alternate feed somewhere to be able to start that game on time um, if the first game, say, is, 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 is running long. Well, and one of the things that I didn't realize how frequently it happens until I started working there and was there on a Saturday, early in the season, it seems like there's a weather delay at one of these games every weekend, <laughs> uh, maybe more <laughs> than one sometimes. And, you know, like you said, like there's something else coming up afterward and it's bleeding over into that. I wonder if you could describe what a Saturday is like for you when that happens. And in particular, there's a great example from, I wasn't yet at Fox, but there was a year when a Big 12 game, I don't remember which one, ended up on Fox News. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's honestly, that's the nightmare scenario uh, when you have weather delays because, you know, you just, you're just you kind of just going along with the weather. Um, so we're, we're constantly in that scenario um, you know, we're constantly monitoring games. We're getting uh, feedback from the weather services. We're getting feedback from the people on site, from both the schools and the conferences. We're basically all, all on one conference call talking about the various scenarios that are happening, when's the games coming back, um, potentially on, you know, what will we do with our program? Will we keep it on that channel? Will we move it to a different channel? Um, those kinds of things. So, it, you know, each scenario is, is you know, is, is different. And, um, you know, we have these contingency, contingency um, plans in place. So, you know, we have to call Fox News or, you know, we have to call Fox Business or, um, you know, or we have Fox Sports 2 or Fox Sports Go or the regional sports networks. Um, they, they're all potentially um, options for us um, if a game is running long or we have those crazy weather scenarios. Um, and, you know, it happens, it happens every single year, probably, you know, once or twice a year. It's just... You hope it, you know, hope it doesn't, you know, doesn't cause a, you know, a, a catastrophe and on your schedule. But um, at the end of the day, you can't really, you know, um, control Mother Nature. Are those things that when they happen, I mean, because it happened, okay, this is like last year, or this happened, you know, X amount of times or whatever, where you know there's a go-to and you've already kind of sent emails out, hey, just in case this happens. I mean, it seems like because the worst thing you'd want to have is a blank screen on your TV. So um, is it just because, you know, I know you guys are in the control room and I know, you know, I, I always wonder, we're watching games and somebody will emerge where it looks like they just, it's almost like they're in the delivery room or something where they're either stressed out or whatever. And um, I remember a couple of years, I, I think it was two years ago, there was uh, it was a weather game and I think Wanstead had food poisoning. <laughs> there was all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, it looked like a... a like an episode of Deadliest Catch kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the nightmare uh, that you don't want to happen. So hopefully you do enough planning to uh, to be able to avert those disasters. But you know sometimes that happens. We're you know we're doing live television, um, 
and it, it, you're just dealing with some some things you just can't control sometimes. Okay, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a couple questions that we know fans uh, care about, but you know I'm sure they're not your favorite thing to answer. One is <laughs> why you know Pac-12 fans in particular, why so many 10:30 Eastern kicks? How do you know how do we avoid that? And what, what how often are you? Um, you know, I think fans obviously they're going to the games want to know as far ahead of time uh, as possible what time the game's going to kick off. Why, in some instances, does it go down to as narrow as six days uh, before they know? Yeah, so going back to your first question about night games, um, and it kind of back to a, a similar, what we talked about earlier, is that kind of the collaboration between networks and the conferences. Um, you know, so in this upcoming season, we were able to, to cut a deal with, with the conferences and the, conference, and the Pac-12 cut a deal with the networks uh, to be able to, to um, reduce the number of night games on the aggregate. Uh, which I think is, you know, is something that you know we've definitely been hearing from fans. Something we've heard from the conferences, from the schools, from from the coaches. Um, you know, that's something that they're trying to trying to do. So I think we made a good step forward in trying to reduce it on the aggregate. Um, but in terms of those night games with the Pac-12, um, you know, it's it is the conference in terms of where they're at. You know, in terms of where they're at geographically and in certain time zones. Um, you know, that that 10:30 Eastern window is. Um, is the only window where um, you know uh, uh, a game of you know of a Power Five conference um, you know on the West Coast is you know can be scheduled sometimes um, because you have so many other commitments in that in the noon or 3:30 or 7 Eastern window. Um, so sometimes you know you have four games on the date and you know the fourth game um, you know will be scheduled at 10:30 Eastern or 7:30 local uh, Pacific time. So. Um, that's just kind of part of the scheduling process and just geographically sometimes where the Pac-12 sits. We just have, um, we have to put X number of games on and we only have X number of windows. So sometimes that's why that, that comes up. Um, but, um, and then to your second question um, in regards to why are six day picks or games are only selected that week of, it's all kind of part of, um, you know, the reason we have these 12 day selections or six day selections. You're, you're trying to put the best games on possible. That's, you know that's my job. That's the other uh, my colleagues at the other uh, networks. It's their jobs to put the best schedule possible. So you want to be able to follow the storylines. You know if it's a, a game is being part of the is shaping up to be you know an instrumental game in the in the college football playoff picture or to the conference race, or to even just um, you know potentially being part of a a bowl selection. Um, those are all storylines that we want to follow. Um, and so you know we know having basically the best games on. Um, is makes the best ratings, makes for the best TV. Um, so those are uh, those are kind of some of the factors that we use. Hey Derek, I got one other thing. It's kind of a more of a personal thing. I think for a lot of you know a lot of our our listeners are are not just fans of college football, but they're people you know younger people who probably would love to get into the into the industry. And I think the idea of having the the influence and the power, you know, it probably is you know sounds pretty cool for a lot of people. I imagine you didn't grow up saying, hey, this is what I want to do, or you probably didn't even know that this job existed when you were going to school. Uh, what was your path to, end, to get to this position to be, to, 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 to be in this role and to do this kind of job? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, I don't take this job for granted. It's, it's definitely one of the, 
uh, one of the better jobs, um, you know, to work in sports, and I, I feel definitely very blessed to, uh, to be able to have this role. Uh, but my path to Fox was, you're right, I, there's, no, there's no college degree that teaches you uh, college sports programming or programming in general. Um, you know, it's one of those, I, I got my start as, you know, different internships um, led me to, um, you know, to internship at Fox. I went to a small Division three school, um, and um, it, it was just kind of one of those things that um, I started off as an assistant in the programming group at Fox um, and kind of worked my way. I was always gravitating. I grew up watching college sports um, probably watch more college sports than any other sport out there. Um, so I, uh, I gravitated to the college side and um, eventually, you know, just kind of working through, the, working through um, some of the various things that, you know, that's come up in the last, you know, 10 or so more years that I've been working here at Fox. It's um, kind of landed in this role, which I love. Um, it's, it, there's always, as you guys know, the college industry is constantly changing. Um, you know, our rights are always constantly changing. So there's something always, there's always something out there to work on, um, something new and exciting. That's why I love it here. Um, and specifically this job. And that division three school is the same alma mater as Steve Lavin, Chapman college, correct? Yep. Chapman university. Go Panthers. (laughs) Yeah. Who would have guessed that the person deciding, um, you know, which channel Oklahoma plays on, uh, would come from Chapman university. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it keeps me unbiased, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, we'll end with a little shameless plug here. Uh, season, the first game for FS1, correct me if I'm wrong, Kansas State-Stanford on Friday, September 2nd. Um, on Saturday that week, Missouri-West Virginia. Uh, in in the uh, early window, uh, Arizona-BYU, uh, 10.30 Eastern. We were just talking about those, but... Um, deal with it arizona and uh, byu fans the second week is uh utah byu on fox central michigan oklahoma state noon eastern on fs1 if i miss one here be sure to let me know uh, you did Which baylor I, smu who could forget that one and uh texas tech arizona state week two on fs1 and the big one week three ohio state at oklahoma on fox Real quick, any uh, any big changes, uh, things to people should watch for on the coverage this year? Um, yeah, I mean, we have some new talent coming in. I think you know, that's always exciting. Um, you know, our production group always does a great job, so I'm sure they're going to have uh, they're going to have some some interesting bells and whistles like they always do. Um, so I'm I'm excited to kind of see. I saw you guys at at media day. I saw some of our marketing shooting some of the um, the footage of media day. I'm sure they have. Um, some big plans, so I, I can't wait for the football season. It's always um, my favorite time of the year. Can you make sure that the games? I'm sorry. Can you make sure the games where Bruce does sideline? Could you get him maybe a better um, baseball cap for when it rains? He he took a lot of flack <laughs> for that one last year. Can we make sure we we uh, upgrade that? Yeah, no problem. I got. I'll I'll take that. I'll, I'll make sure you get, get one of the Whitlock there. fedoras that are probably around the green room all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Derek. We appreciate your insight and perspective. It is truly unique, especially because it's something, you know, not just fans. We are always, you know, kind of wondering, how, you know, why we're watching what we're watching and, and how it ends up on uh, different networks. And now you know who to complain to when you don't like the kickoff time. 
exactly. His phone number yeah. is no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. All right, thanks Thank so much you. for coming on, Derek. Hi, guys. All right, we thank Derek for joining us. And uh, you know, before we get to this one story that that came up on Monday, and then we're, we're taping Monday morning. Uh, we Derek couldn't get into certain specifics. It's obviously some of its pro- proprietary information, uh, and we wanted to respect that. Uh, and this story kind of ties into it a little bit. Uh, on Monday, the Sports Business Journal, uh, which is an industry trade, had reported ESPN and Fox Sports are angry over the Big 12's expansion plans. So I ask you, Stu, why are you so pissed off at, it, at Bob Bowlesby? <laughs> We want to make it clear that uh, there's a pretty clear distinction at Fox between the people who make would make a decision like that and us. Uh, it's way above our pay grade. <clears throat> so it's not like, you know, before we started recording, we asked Derek, why do you hate the Big 12 so much? That never even came up. Um, but, yeah, I don't think – it's not surprising. Uh, it's It's long been the reason why – the main reason why we didn't think they could expand because there just aren't enough schools out there that are attractive enough to, you know, belong to a power conference. Now, I know that the Big 12 did a lot of preparation for this. They have TV consultants. I can't imagine they were caught off guard to hear that ESPN and Fox weren't thrilled about having to pony up the, you know, remember they are on the hook whether, you know, if they do it, they're on the hook. They can't say, sorry, we're not paying you. It was put in the contract. You know, they'll still get the same amount per school that they get now. So you could see why maybe those networks would be a little bit, uh, you know, maybe wanting to throw their weight around a little bit before they have to cough up that 20 to $25 million per year per school. Yeah, and I think that this comes back to how, how big are the brands we're talking about. I mean, that's just the issue. But ultimately... Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, just because just because TV execs aren't thrilled about something doesn't mean they don't they don't uh, have to go along with it. No, and we have a perfect example of that from last week. If if we're up to ESPN, you know that New Year's Eve semifinal this past year never would have happened. It took uh, you know it took a year into it for them to for the playoff people to come around to that. So um, you know I think a lot of people like to believe that ESPN or Fox, you know, runs college football, calls the shots for these guys. Obviously, their money comes with a lot of influence, but I don't know that they are in a position to dictate these things. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see. I got to be honest, it's been frustrating trying to get updates on where they are in the realignment uh, expansion process because nobody knows what's going on. Nobody that you or I know within the Big 12 has any idea what's going on. This is really just Bob Bowlesby and the 10 presidents. I told you this when we had Thamel on a couple of weeks ago, right after the conference call with the Big 12. I told you this is the hardest story for the media to to report on because normally we rely on coaches and ADs and this is above their heads. And you know what? Like we guys like us and I don't know the only person I know of who I think is kind of plugged in, who's a, who's a front-facing media person, is not a sports writer. Um, and I won't say who that is, but I just don't think there's a lot of us who – it's it's a different kind of story. Well, word will eventually – if they are to – if they are going to add schools, word will eventually trickle out and it will probably come from not the conference but the schools themselves that are, that are possibly being added. But, um, you know, I think it says something that a lot of the big – 
you know, this is this is a very unusual thing the Big 12 did to publicly declare their intentions. In fact, I heard Mike Oresco, the uh, AAC commissioner on uh, SiriusXM recently, kind of lamenting that, right? Because now, basically, like, they had the clam bake this week, you know, the big media event, and all their coaches are going to get asked about, do you think you're going to get invited to the Big 12? You know, I think he's realistic enough to know that if one of them gets an invite, they're going. And I don't think he would begrudge them, but he does wish this wasn't such a public process. And and at the same uh, time, for all we know, right now, behind closed doors, they've decided not to do it. Or they've decided to eight, add eight schools. We just really, beyond that, those comments from David Bourne that first day, there have been no real firm updates. I just realized now that I said that, during the time between we, us recording this and Teddy putting it out, they're going to announce something. <laughs> Further proof that... Uh... We don't know what we're talking about. All right. Um, another story we want to get to. Cre- uh, this is – all right. When I first saw this – Is it a story or is it a non-story? I know what you're going to get to, but is it a, is it a story? Is it a, is it a real story? Texas A&M? Oh, no. I'm sorry. I thought we were talking the recruiting retweet stuff. We'll get to the recruiting retweets okay. in a second. On uh, – was it Friday, I believe? Uh, yes. Texas A&M uh, suspended two assistant coaches and – the reason for that is that they did a women's clinic, and a lot of these programs do women's clinics, and the coaches that ran it put up these slides that when I first saw them, I thought, somebody Photoshopped those, or, or this is an Onion parody. It was so outrageously sexist, you just, you just didn't think this was possibly real, that it happened, and, and, or that they, that, that they could go into a room and draw these up and think, this is going to be hilarious, this will kill. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much the same perspective you had on it. I because I saw it had come from the first kind of reporting on I saw was retweeted on my timeline. It was from a Texas A and or I'm sorry, a University of Texas uh, kind of a recruiting site, and it was like, okay, that's that's bizarre. I can't believe that that actually happened. And then you know, sure enough, Kevin Sumlin issues a statement. Uh, saying there's absolutely no place in our program and our university, you know, for inappropriate conduct or degrading comments towards women, and and further, and I I thought of I was like, do some of these guys think it's still 1991? Um, just the idea that if this was this this was a joke that was made, you know, within the context of a of a staff room kind of thing, that wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, I think. You know, guys, a lot of when there's a locker room mentality that exists and it's not limited to 18 and 19 and 20 year olds. And I think it can often, you know, go on to, to, you know, guys 40 years older than that. But the idea that, you know, this is going to be done in a public forum, which this essentially is, and you don't think, A, you think it's funny, but B, you, you think that that wouldn't get out, that somebody in that room wouldn't be, um, you know, feel like it's inappropriate or awkward and wouldn't take a picture of it. The, now, the the probably beyond that, the bigger part of the story is one of the coaches, one of the two coaches who was suspended without pay is Jim Turner. He's a new Texas A&M uh, offensive line coach. Now, he was at Texas A&M under Mike Sherman before that. But he was also – the reason why his name may be from, more familiar to, to NFL fans is because he lost his job – as part of the the bully scandal around Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin with the Dolphins a couple of years ago. So the fact that he 
was, you know, behind this is, you know, shows some really bad judgment. Football coaches, we've talked, we've used this, this analogy many times. They live in a, in a bubble sometimes. I mean, I don't want to generalize because some coaches are very worldly, but many wake up early, go into the office, you know, close the blinds, watch film, go, go, go for a lift, um, go watch more film. And, and rinse and repeat and there's just not a lot of connection with the outside world and maybe how society is changing uh i just can't believe that that would happen in 2016 yeah and i i find it hard to believe that you know after this example that it wouldn't that somebody some other coach will do something you know i'm not saying some other coach won't do something really knuckleheaded you know decision but I suspect there'll be another story kind of like this, you know, within, uh, you know, months from now. And well, it's, what do you, do you think? So these women's clinics go on around the country and they are obviously meant to, they're very well intentioned, right? They are meant to, um, basically give women, you know, give these fans, um, a window into what college football is like. But it also It's pretty insulting though to think yeah, that Yeah, it seems like a bit of a relic. Like my like my wife is a big Dallas Cowboy fan. She grew up, you know, as a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. Um now does she know no, does she know the difference between inside zone and outside zone? No, I don't think she does. But I think there's a lot of guy fans who go to games and watch games who don't either. And quite honestly, there's a lot of stuff that we in the media, you know, sitting in the press box, don't know the inner workings of. I mean, you know, if they wanted to have some kind of chalk talk, you know, where it's not where it's like you could say it's football 101, then you could have football 201. It doesn't have to be the graduate level stuff that like GAs know or anything like that. But I don't think it's a I don't think it should be, you know, delineated by, okay, this is for women and this is for men. Because there's a lot of men who are big football fans who don't know that much about the game. And maybe they don't care about specifics. They just want to you know, watch their team play, and that's great and all. Um, but some of these fo- women's football clinics, you know, they have a component of like, hey, let's show how, how a player gets dressed. I, I think I remember this when I was around Ole Miss, and this is you know, 10 years ago, where I think Ben Jarvis Green Ellis was like, you know, it showed him putting on his pads it's not like a strip show, but you're watching this guy who has like, you know, this muscled up guy with a six pack, you know, there's an element of like, you know, kind of women elbowing each other as they watch this kind That's of thing. That's gross. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, well, first of all, we should, know, we should also mention, I mean, I believe this was a fundraiser. A lot of these events are fundraisers, but like you said, couldn't it be uh, not specific to gender? Couldn't you just do a football 101 chalk talk that, anybody can come to if they pay whatever the you know admission was no question no question i mean but and you know what i don't know like are we getting too outraged in this i saw a uh, a story that was i think it was in the pittsburgh post gazette i think you you told me you saw it too where shelly meyer urban meyer's uh wife was quoted in it and talked about you know maybe it's overly pc reaction to some of this stuff I don't doubt there were women in that room that found it hilarious, but um, um, if there, I would imagine the majority did not. And 
you know, there was obviously the Texas A&M fan reaction on Twitter was immediate. You guys are making too much of this. It's a PC thing. Da, 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 da. I guarantee you if the same exact thing happened at a Texas football clinic, they would not have been saying that. So it, it was inappropriate. And let me ask you this. By the way, when I first heard that Jim Turner was in it, I didn't realize the Richie Incognito connection. I just thought of our SEC uh, Media Days podcast a few weeks ago where you were just yeah, raving about the, the, his impact as an offensive line coach and how much he's going to help this program. There have been some people pointing out, right, that these are now there have now been three A&M assistants disciplined uh, in this offseason for various things. We've heard the rumblings over the years that, you know, I believe when um, – we know about Johnny Manziel was allowed to pretty much run rampant there. And we know that, um, uh, shoot, I'm getting my A&M transfer quarterback. Kyle Allen. Kyle, yeah, Kyle Allen's at Dennis Houston, Dodd. right? Yeah. Just told Dennis Dodd one of the reasons he left was that the culture was just too loosey-goosey. Um, this just reinforces that image that Kevin someone has, you know, that old that old cliche about Mark Rick, right? He just lost control of the program. That, that it's just kind of running roughshod. Yeah, look, I mean the the Jim Turner stuff, you know, by and large, I mean it's 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 the off the field things and you could come into question saying should he be coaching college, you know, college athletes if this is his judgment that he's displaying. You know, are we overreacting? I mean, I think ultimately it's going to be determined whether, you know, if Kevin Sumlin's team wins enough and whether that's, you know, nine games plus and beating somebody good whether it's, you know, Ole Miss or Alabama or LSU, will that be good enough? I think then these are moot points, and then it ultimately comes back to that. Um, but I think given all, given the attention, I mean, the stuff with Aaron Moorhead, that's the receivers coach, that was the third assistant you're referring to. I mean, that was over uh, his his basically subtweeting of a you know recruit who decommitted, and that blew up, and that was an ugly look. I mean. Again, it's it's all judgment here is what we're talking about, and I think when you trust guys to to uh, to be professional and they don't, you know, it's a bad look ultimately. I mean, let me re- by the way, let me read you this quote, and this is from Shelley Meyer, and it was a Pittsburgh Post Gazette story. Again, Urban Meyer's wife, uh, who's participated in her husband's women's clinic on a wives panel, uh, said she has heard the criticism surrounding the clinics and said the objective of Ohio State's clinic, first and foremost, is to raise money for cancer research. And again, a lot of these clinics do do, um, they are for good cause, and I think that should be pointed out. Uh, but here's her quote. I have, a lot, I have a lot of not politically correct things I would say about that because I'm so tired of all this equality and junk and all that. Why can't we have a women's clinic? Why can't we just have a women's clinic that's a fun day for women? Because as a rule, I would say a majority of women don't understand the game like men do. Men get to play it. It's just a service provided, end quote. Shelley's never been uh, uh, afraid to speak her mind about certain things. We'll put it that way. All right. That's your only reaction? Well, you know, on the one hand, my reaction would be exactly what you said before. I, I think that's an unfair characterization. I think there's lots of women who know just as much, if not more, about football than men. We work with some of those women. It should be noted. You know, there are lots of women covering college football in the media who certainly know as much, if not more, than we do. And I don't think, but I don't think Shelley Meyer is is 
disputing what what were what you said or what I just said either, though. Well, and I think that Shelly Meyer spends a lot more time around that culture than than we do. You know, I'm sure she um, obviously she knows the the coaching culture, but I also think that part of being the head coach's wife at a major university like that, right, is a lot of schmoozing. She probably knows a lot of, for instance, the the female either donors or wives of donors and. You know, that's her observation, and, I, you know, I'm sure that's, she's not making that up out of thin air. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I think these are all fair, fair um, points and perspectives, you know. Um, Can I just correct myself on something? I'm sure. A, I'm a little sleep-deprived this morning, actually a lot sleep-deprived, and uh, I used, <laughs> I said earlier that uh, Kevin Selma's program was running roughshod, which, you know, that, that would mean he's dominating. I meant uh, running amok. Got it. Yeah. Many, yeah. many grammar people listening. Rob Stone would be very disappointed. I know that. Yes, Rob Stone with his English degree from Colgate. So, um, all right. I think we've, uh, I think we've kind of gone pretty far on the, uh, on the Well, the other thing you wanted to talk about was. Yeah, whether it's a story or not. <laughs> I, I, uh, I came home from a wedding on late Sunday night and saw my Twitter feed and I was like, what the hell happened? Yeah, and, and I, I was at a concert, and I came home, and and I was like, and my Twitter feed was just like fifty-seven Gary Patterson retweets in a row. I was like, has Gary Patterson lost his mind? And then you know, I finally got to the, and I probably should have known this was coming, but August first, the new NCAA rule went into effect, allowing coaches to uh, RT and favorite recruits' tweets. Not allowed to comment, not allowed to add a comment, but you can acknowledge them and. What a stupid rule. And, and we're seeing that. I mean, it's midnight or 12.01 a.m. Suddenly, all these coaches that you and I follow just started hitting the retweet button like crazy. And what is that accomplishing? Well, as one coach who called me, a uh, head coach called me Monday morning and said, you know, I mean, please tell me kids really aren't going to commit because of this, to pick a school because of this. And I think there's an element that will – or because it's all about, you know, who loves me and who's respecting me and this. And it's, I think there's an element of human nature. And I'm going to take the 18 and 17 and 16-year-old parts out of this. And I'm going to say it to you. Um, be honest. If one of your friends and in in, colleagues in the media uh, retweets your column as opposed to maybe somebody else who wrote this a similar-themed column, don't you feel a little bit of a positive vibe for that person? Of uh, course you do, Stu. Of course you do. I mean, do I feel a positive vibe? Yes, but this I, I, I don't know that that analogy works. It's not like I'm choosing uh, who, which of these friends I'm going to spend the next four years with based on that. Okay, let me give you a different side of it. Let's say that you posted uh, some personal pictures of your, of, like, of your kid. And somebody clicked liked on it on Facebook and one of your friends who usually likes other people's, you know, kids doesn't click like on yours. Do you don't take not take notice of that? I really don't. But I know a lot of people do. I know that the Instagram culture is basically for a lot of like younger people is it's validation. Yeah. Like you send something out there and then you immediately and, check to see who did or didn't like it. But and I don't just, say it's for a lot of young people, Stu, because I'm older than you and I am I am petty enough. And probably, but I'm honest about it. I do notice some of this stuff. You okay. know, and maybe this is the Libra in me or whatever. But you know, there's, 
again, I don't know if I would, I don't, I'm not saying I would choose a school from this. And if it came down to it and Les Miles retweeted something of mine and uh, Brett Bielema didn't, would I be like, Brett Bielema can't set foot in my house? You know, if he was coming to visit me because of that, I hope it wouldn't come to that because you're talking about opportunity and decisions. But um, again, I think there is a part of this that is just human nature. And it's like, there's a little bit of like, there's a little warm and fuzzy feeling when when people give you the give you the thumbs up like that. Yeah, so I don't dispute that. I'll acknowledge that. But these kids send many, you know, send a gazillion tweets a day. You know, are they really going to keep track of which ones? Uh, yes, I think they are. Did not I think they're going to. I think they're, we're talking about coaches and programs. We're not talking about like whether the you know necessarily a fan or somebody. You know, one of the two four seven or rivals or scout guys. So does that mean that Les Miles or Les Miles, more likely Les Miles social media guy, has to now sit there all day and like and retweet every single thing that any of the kids are recruiting? Well then thank God for the mute button. It does. Um and I look, I know this that you know, coaches make a point of letting a kid know that they were the first person they call at 1201 or the first person they visit on, a, you know, an open period because it, it, it means something to certain kids. It's why, look, it was why Ogeron wanted to be the first person to offer a, a kid because it was like, because I wanted to be the first person to step out there and, you know, tell a kid I believed in him. Ultimately, somebody pointed out, I think John Solomon from CBS pointed out, and I think it's a good point, that the NCAA has, now has a policy on liking and retweeting, but they don't have a way to enforce their own concussion policy. So I think this is a bit of misplaced priorities. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's harmless, right? You know, like, retweet away. I'm of the opinion they should deregulate all of it, and don't worry about whether you're texting at the right time or, or any of that stuff. It's just so stupid and petty. But... <laughs> but that's not how it is. So they have to go through one by one and, and, and on a case-by-case basis and say, all right, let's address the retweeting crisis. And, and next week or next year, maybe we'll address the Instagram-like crisis. Um, it's it's silly. It's been going on for probably – I mean I can remember them debating whether or not to allow text messages almost 10 years ago when the, when people started you know texting commonly. Uh, at that time – the funny thing is at that time – the reason they, the main reason they banned it, the main reason they were concerned was that it wasn't unusual at that time for a seventeen-year-old to have a, a phone plan that you, you know you had to, you got charged every time you got a text message. So these kids were running up these huge bills. Uh, I may be naive. I, I will admit I'm not um, a frequent shopper of self-service, but I don't think most people pay per text anymore. Yeah, and, and look, I think the John Solomon tweet is is a fair point about the concussion protocol and about certain things like that, which, you know, are more significant. But this is the NCA culture that's kind of gets bogged down in the minutia so much. Right. So, right. as I said, I don't know if this is a story. I feel like it's a non-story, and I feel like really the only people who would really be be, be griping about it will be college football or media because we're the ones who follow multiple head coaches like i'm not sure if i'm a if i'm an alabama fan why i need to follow mark d'antonio or gary patterson you know i'll follow nick saban i might follow gus well they probably follow their own team's coach and they probably and many of them now follow all the recruits too so maybe they would be looking to make that connection i feel bad for because I should back up. The reason this is being allowed is that 
it just in, they've decided that it follows the spirit of the larger rule, which is in general, coaches are not allowed to comment on recruits, but they can confirm that the kid is being recruited, which is interesting because you don't hear that very often, right? You don't hear a coach come into a press conference and say and get asked about, hey, are you recruiting Tate Martell? Yes, we are. Uh, they tend to not even want to go in that direction. But theoretically, you can confirm that you're recruiting somebody. And so retweeting one of his tweets is confirmation that you're recruiting him. So now, if you're a beat writer for Alabama, probably a bad example because I don't think Nick Saban's going to be tweeting anytime soon. If you're a beat writer for TCU, do you have to monitor this 24-7 and see which recruits they are, they are or are not retweeting? I mean, realistically, if you're a beat writer for you know any school – and you're any good at it, you know somebody in the recruiting office and you know who they're recruiting and who they aren't recruiting. Right. So, That's I mean, I, I, and also they can publicize recruits, you know, if it's a kid who assigned, you know, to a national letter of intent and then, you know, then you're locked into that kid, but then they're not necessarily locked into you. So some of these rules have, have kind of, have kind of shifted in just in the last couple of years. Right. Hey, good news. Camp opens around the country for teams this weekend, and we'll be able to turn our attention to that instead of talking about retweets. That is a good thing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, as always, if you enjoy the Audible, you should subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and you should tell your friends to as well. Also, we like to get your emails on our second podcast of the week. Please send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And we will see you next time.